0: collected because these pink shoes are part of my legacy and I'm really working hard to fill in the gaps for my daughter so she doesn't have to experience what I did and I'm asking you what are your pink shoes what is it you want to leave behind when you're not around anymore to the ones you love thank you
1: To share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you fill the gaps in your life story, be intentional about the influence you have and the mark you make. Remember, Encouraging one person can have a profound effect on the world. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges.
0: Someone threw until the path was clear. That's when I found you. How This is Roger Fisher from Heart. You're listening to 90.7 KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon. Tell your friends to listen on in and support the mass movement of the human tribe.
1: Andy, whoa,
0: whoa looks a scream, him on my whoa, whoa, whoa. Andy, whoa, 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 silver scream, can't tell them apart at all. My name is Joseph Gallivan, and you're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Melissa Martins-Jabberbaum. She's the guest curator of Die a show by Harley Gaber on now at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education through January 29th, 2023. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus, Melissa.
1: Thanks so much, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: This is one of those shows that really hits you in the gut. It's swastikas, German helmets, people herded into ghettos. It's all black and white collage taken from media sources and documentation from the 30s and 40s in Germany. Tell us who was Harley Gaber, and where did these three hundred or so canvases come from?
1: It took me a while to understand what the piece *De Plaga* is and who Harley Gaber was. So, I work with a lot of Jewish museums around the United States, and it's it's probably not a surprise to anyone listening to your show that part of what we'd expect to see at a Jewish museum, at least from time to time, would be content about the Holocaust. And the first thing I'm going to say about this piece, which maybe is a little controversial, is that the artist didn't intend it to be about the Holocaust. So let me tell you who Harley Gaber was and who he wasn't. So, Harley Gaber was not a Holocaust survivor or a witness to the events of the Holocaust. Um, He was not an American Jewish GI that served in World War II, and he was not the descendant of Holocaust survivors. So in a way, there's a little bit of a disconnect um, that's a little bit unexpected. I think um, what it really is, and, and who he was in relationship to this material, is that he was a Jewish American musician, creative intellectual who um, like many of us who have lived through the second half of the 20th century have come into contact with a tremendous amount of information and imagery about world war ii and we each um, understand that and carry that with us differently depending who we are what our heritage is um, what we've studied how much content we've encountered and of course it's all filtered through various sources Um, so Harley Gaber is an artist. He grows up in Chicago in the the suburb of Winnetka. His father dies at a very young age and his mother remarries um, someone with the last name Gaber, who he accepts as his father then for the rest of his life. Um, They were an American Jewish family, I would say secular. They don't have um, family memories of celebrating the holidays, but certainly identified as Jewish American. um, He grew up in Chicago, and by the time he's in high school, he um, is becoming a very skilled jazz musician. He was also very good at anything that he took on, whether it was sports, tennis, skiing, uh, football. Um, but music really becomes his um, primary identity in high school. And he goes on, um, if, you, if you Google Harley Gaber, you'll see that he's a very um, renowned composer and musician of the second half of the 20th century in minimalist music. Um, it's uh, precursor to uh, spectral music and drone. Um, so he's very respected in that field and is really on, on the rise to being a, a star composer in a lot of respects. He travels and studies in Europe, um, he studies with a lot of prominent um, music scholars and musicology scholars, and at some point he makes a real departure and um, decides to stop composing music. So um, that's uh, who he was as, as a young person. Um, he moves to California and teaches tennis. And by the time it's the 1990s, he's starting to think about um, this material and and this piece. And so I'll just like introduce who he was, but I'm going to take a sidestep for a minute and talk about, um, and I hope your listeners can relate to this, that the journey we've all all been on um, as Americans, that um, Harley Gaper's born in the 1940s, And so he lived out that whole second half of the 20th century. And um, I I overlap many of those same years. And I think um, on on the one hand, as a young child, the main narrative that I knew was the Diary of Anne Frank. That was my introduction to Holocaust content, especially through a primary voice um, of someone who lived through some of that history. And by the time it's the 1990s, A lot of Hollywood, there's a tremendous amount of Hollywood treatment of Holocaust stories, whether it was um, based on truth, on fiction, -fiction, pseudo-fiction, etc. We see the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum open in the 1990s, the Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York City. And so Americans are really coming to terms with... uh, what what were the events of the Holocaust? What does it mean that Holocaust survivors are part of the fabric of American society, that Jewish Im- immigrants have long been part of, the, of America? Um, what does it mean for those people in diaspora? What was America's role in World War II? I think a lot of those questions are ripening. We also see the fields of Jewish studies, Holocaust studies, museum studies, library science, ripening um, over those decades, and I think that at as we as Americans, or at least me personally, on the one hand, this was um, familiar territory that I, I knew as a young child that the Holocaust was a, a very significant event. Um, I never questioned its, its role in museums, in public life, in education, um, but we still didn't have much distance from it. And on the one hand, it was so close to community members that we knew that um, especially in cities and areas with concentrations of Holocaust survivors, that was just part of the fabric of the community. And so Harley Gaber is growing up in the same time as well and emerging as an artist. In the um, early 1990s, his mother is diagnosed with cancer and she's living in San Mateo in California and he moves there to take care of her. His stepfather um, also becomes sick And by the time um, his mother is near the end of her life, um, they had discussed how much he wanted to travel to Germany. Um, I think Gaber himself would say that it wasn't motivated by anything um, from his Jewish heritage. I think it was more from a creative point of view. He was very interested in German art and culture, uh, architecture, music. Um, but he has a a real um, desire to go. And after his mother passes away, he starts making trips over to Germany. He made about seven trips to Germany, was going about every year, and he is also going to archives, and he's starting to photocopy imagery, whether from books or from photographs, Um, that depict events um, in the chapter from um, Weimar Republic up through the end of the Holocaust. So that's kind of the chapter of like what is um, giving him curiosity about the the content, um, what primary source materials he's accessing. He's also visiting concentration camps such as Dachau and Buchenwald and he is um, digesting this material as an artist.
0: The the images are on these 16 by 20 canvases they're the original paper collage so where it's cut or torn that's it it's not a reproduction and they're in this very rigid grid Mm -hmm. I mean it's very uh, striking as you go in you can't really avoid this it's it's almost like um, multiple screens Um, on the the kind of right hand side of the room the street side mm-hmm. the the most coherent image is a string of about a dozen Hitler youth and behind them ahead above them are all these terrified close-up faces just to the right of them are some other children um in little suits like little tweed suits some of them have hats on they look like jewish children and they're kind of facing the other way, they're in line. I mean, mm-hmm. these people are not in the same place at the same time. It's right. a collage. And there's one little boy with a hat on, like a trilby, and he's looking back mm-hmm. at the camera. And if you turn 180, he's also on the other side, same kid, same mm-hmm. photo, but mirror image. Uh-huh. And that side is, a, I think it's the Warsaw Ghetto side with the bridge mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the barbed wire. Yeah. Do you... As you're the curator, right? you got to choose which bit went where. Yeah. So why did you put this kid there?
1: So um, first of all, anyone who's encountering this exhibit like is only experiencing a fraction of the piece. The piece has some 4,200 canvases. Um, he works for nine years on the piece from 1993 till 2001. So in selecting the pieces for this installation, Um, We wanted it to have some comprehension and cohesion. Um, There is a lot of imagery that doesn't line up in a way that's as um, narrative-driven as the mural that you're describing. Um, That mural, what we put together, we thought was really relatable and interesting. Um, It's very digestible. And to me, it's um, juxtaposing uh, the, the station of children in times of, um, of war, crisis, etc. And we could see from these children of roughly comparable ages that some of them um, are quickly indoctrinated into Nazi propaganda, thinking service, possibly, and that other children are refugees that need to flee and others become victims to the terrors of the war. Um, those two murals, the one that's on the um, north side of the gallery and the one that's um, facing it on the other side, were probably stitched together originally as one long piece. So that's why you see the same boy appear again, and the German words at the bottom also stitch together and make some sense. So um, a, lot of, a lot of this can be experienced either in smaller sections. We worked with the architecture of the room. And it could be reimagined and reconfigured as a much bigger piece. Some of the questions we were looking at that um, we pose on the pylons nearby are the questions of the, the role of individuals in the sweep of history. Uh, the, the title of the piece, um, it's interesting, Plaga. it's striking that it's not a, a title about the Holocaust. So the piece itself is already pointing us originally, when he named it, to something that's larger than the Holocaust. That What, what plagues society? Um, what is the role of humanity? What events do we have control over and which do we not have control over? What are we contributing to knowingly or unknowingly? What is our responsibility to children in a time of war and crisis and plague? So for me, that mural um, was really a, a star piece that we really wanted to put front and center. So
0: you you had carte blanche to rearrange the 4,200 pieces?
1: I The answer is yes. Um, we know that some of them were meant to live in certain configurations and when we had documentation on that, such as this mural and one of the other ones, we um, preserved that configuration. Other um, pieces of art we don't know what the original intent was because there isn't a record of every assemblage mm-hmm. yeah
0: mm-hmm. so so uh harley gave a, he actually did a lot of this work in newport oregon yeah so him and his girlfriend had this big space and he was as somebody said he was not obsessed he was passionate um Do you know much about that period of creativity where he was assembling?
1: Yeah, yeah. But the things I know are really interesting. That um, He had a couple different studios um, in San Mateo and when he met Christina Ankovska, who lives in Portland and is an artist herself, um, they moved in together into her house in Newport, Oregon. And he also had a couple studios up in Newport. And that studio life for Harley was um, that he was very dedicated to the work. The way Christina has described it is that she didn't see him as being obsessed with it, but he was um, dedicated to, I mean, he spent more than nine years working on these. Um, He described it to um, the art critic and historian Mark Breitenberg as a meditation. And when I encounter this piece, um, on the one hand, it excites and aggravates a lot of emotion immediately. It's very stimulating. Um, You walk in it, it's very immersive. I feel very enveloped by the piece itself. Um, I can only imagine if, if there was more of it around me. Um, Harley also exhibited the work occasionally with his music which is very atonal um, and is a very abrasive sounding at certain points so it does excite and aggravate the emotions but at the same time um, I like looking at it as a piece both in focus and out of focus that if you were to look at the details you find so many fascinating details and questions whether it's about the children whether it's people who are the historical figures whether it's people that were perpetrators or victims. But if you walk back and zoom back, I think you get a little more of um, another line of intent that he meant to express, that it's it's a meditation on um, what is the role of, of people and humanity rather just uh, than the good guys and the bad guys. So um, that's how I like to look at the piece, both really close up and also really far back.
0: My name's Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Melissa martins Yababaum. She's talking about Plaga, which is on now at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education through January 29th, 2023. Most of the impact of the, of the visuals is, is juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. He's put people together who weren't together you know, generals, children. He's torn a lot of work and sliced it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has that kind of um, punk rock kind of collage, you know, Mm -hmm. very rough and ready. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple of bits in it that are almost photoshoppy. There's a a Nazi soldier whose mouth has been cut away and he has like a dog's tongue. And that that seems sort of slightly out of keeping with the rest Mm -hmm. of his method. Do you know much, was there a lot more of that that you didn't use?
1: Oh yeah, there's um, there's so many different techniques that you could see across the work, not all of which is presented in this installation, um, that there's pieces that are hyper-saturated with multiple layers of images. Then there are other pieces that have a field of single color and just one cutout image. I know that his process was extremely detailed, that um, in terms of whether it had a crisp line or a rugged line that everything was done with intention and from what I hear from Christina he took a lot of painstaking process to have um, the effect that that is desired so it wasn't just done quickly it was done with a lot of intention. I think another thing that's really interesting about this piece and this opens up like a whole other chapter for me of, of how we're going to move forward in the 21st century. That we're about to enter a chapter of life um, that I've never experienced before where it, where it will be a world without Holocaust survivors and primary source narrators. That what is left is the record and as the interpretation is what is left. And um, Harley's not the first artist to be working with Holocaust content and material, but it suggests to me that as people who lived adjacent and side by side um, with the people who experienced World War II, that to live in a world where no one was a witness to it is going to be a very different world, and that um, the navigation of the visual record and the um, oral histories and the scholarship is going to be in the hands of people that have no one to turn to to ask about it. Um, we could only self-reflect on what we know and what others have said or interpreted before. And so I think this work kind of opens up that idea of, as, as Americans, what, um, what did we take time to understand? What questions did we ask? Um, it was also affected by by the time he's creating the, the final canvases in the last couple years of the piece where um, we've experienced 9-11 in this country and the um, extent to which Americans were involved in the Middle East and in Afghanistan that um, really questioning our role in those events. So um, it's, it's not, um, it is a coincidence that this piece came to the attention of the museum um, in spring of 2020, right before the pandemic began. Um, that's just a coincidence. But a few weeks later, we were all living in a world that was um, shaped by the pandemic. And then even though we feel like we're coming out of that in some respects, we woke up to multiple other plagues of our time. And so I think um, that this piece, had I seen it when it was created in the 1990s, I might not have, it might not have landed on me as being as relevant as it is today. He died
0: in 2011, Mm -hmm. do you know much about how he died?
1: Yeah, uh, Harley Gaber took his own life tragically. This was not a surprise to his closest friends and family. His um, youngest brother died by suicide as a very young man um, many decades before. And Harley wrestled with his own health issues, his own emotional navigation. Um, He was also discouraged that the piece, which had um, gained a good amount of attention through its exhibition history, Um, And he put so much into the installation at the laboratory in LA in year 2000 that he couldn't imagine the next step for the piece, Um, that it was massive at this point, that there was no single venue that could probably show all the works or store them. And so he started to put the piece away. Um, Christina, um, his girlfriend came in one day and he was um, cutting out the canvases from their frames and they had an argument about what's happening.
0: Throwing them away.
1: He wasn't throwing them away, but he was finished with the piece, and he decided to cut, um, start cutting the canvases out of the frames. Prior to that point, they had developed a whole numbering and cataloging and storage system, He threw out the records for the the cataloging system, and he just methodically started to cut the canvases out um, because the the physical framework of them was also creating a lot of storage need, that if they were just totally flat, they wouldn't be as hard to store. Um, So he started to get his affairs in order. He started to put the piece away. Um, He was commissioned um, by the Epstein Family Foundation um, to do a piece called In Memoriam, uh, that honors Nancy Epstein and that was his last big musical composition and it's, um, it's it's a very good composition, very worth listening to and it wasn't long after he completed that piece that he took his own life.
0: So he continued as a musician even though he'd taken this turn into
1: visual art? Yeah, not, not much. That one piece was um, kind of his last big artistic statement as a musician and he had um, many of his affairs in order. He was traveling around. I think he he tried to regroup several times, but he had he had come to his own decision. Mm-hmm.
0: So he was he. A lot of the imagery is familiar because it's soldiers, it's yeah. barbed wire, it's children on trains, and where where was he sourcing the imagery? And this is classic kind of 1970s photocopying, right, or 90s or whatever mm-hmm. that era where it was. The easiest way to make a copy was a Xerox machine, mm-hmm. black and white. Yeah.
1: Um, he was definitely uh, Xeroxing items over in Germany at the Bundesarchiv and other archives. And he was also purchasing a lot of books, bringing them back with him to the US. Um, he sometimes went to Powell's bookstore here in Portland and picked up other books of German art and history. And then he was repurposing those images in the studio.
0: So he, did he have his own photocopier? I believe he did. Right. Yep. And then he would lay them out and then use a scalpel or, a, you know, an exacto mm-hmm. and glue?
1: Yep. Yep. Adhesive. Yep. After this, where will it go? So this is um, the first time the piece has been on display since year 2000. And it, it is a really interesting moment to see the piece again. Um, I think we've all been through a lot as Americans. I think we're all anticipating what is coming up ahead. We're all watching the war, the war in Europe um, and wondering what America's role is in that. Um, what is our responsibility? What is not? Um, so to see this piece now I think is, is really interesting. I think it's gonna um, provoke a lot of conversations. It's here at the Oregon Jewish Museum until January And I know that the uh, Epstein Family Foundation is really interested to see where it could go next. So Mm -hmm. a lot of colleagues are starting to come and look at it and talk about where else it could go.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And talk about some of the the wording which is on the pillars around, you know, to help people understand it. And there's that one side with artifacts that says, we are all collages, something like that. Yeah. If he said, this isn't about the Holocaust, but is it about fascism, you know? Is it about today, America, the rise of the right?
1: I think um, in the concluding section of the exhibit, which is called We Are All Collages, we use this as an opportunity to make sense or make some sense of who Harley Gaber was and what his intentions were behind the piece. Um, He also, I think, and expresses this very well through the work, um, stitches together a reality in which we're all collaged together and our relationships um, with, with people we think we are not tied to at all are actually there. So he's creating a web and a system to see where some of those relationships and responsibilities lie. Um, also on the wall we are all collages is to think about, I, I think it, it would be easy for people to be very reductionist in um, looking at Harley Gaber or the work and say, oh, he must have been thinking this or he must have been informed by that. But it, there really isn't a direct um, line to draw from, obviously he had this experience and this led to the work. So it's also to point to the idea that, that we're all walking repositories of how we see the world, how what we're informed by, how we understand media and literacy, how we repurpose language and imagery um, in our own productivity and our own agency in the world. So it's it's kind of looking at that interaction between the um, the inheritance of imagery and heritage and how we make it new again.
0: Mm-hmm. And that there, there is some wording about you know pluralism and sort of not silencing certain voices. Could you go into that a little bit please?
1: Yeah I think that the exhibit um, draws out for me the questions of what, how do we navigate um, a world of uh, nationalities and being born into different countries, and where, how do we understand our role and our allegiance to different nations, and why does that allegiance exist? Um, what is the uh, advantage of protest, pluralism, and different points of view? And, and how do we navigate the boundaries between um, being part of a system of others and being individuals? So we try to draw out some of those questions, which I think Harley Gaber was really asking with this piece. Um, it, by looking at those children in that first mural that they didn't sign up Um, originally to to be part of World War II or to be with Hitler or to be with America or to be with the Japanese or to be um, in any other country, but they found themselves as major actors in those moments. So um, I think that the the museum and the installation wants people to ask themselves that question of um, what station do we occupy today and is it by choice, is it thoughtful, or are we just are we just going on automatic pilot? Mm
0: I mean, would you call this kind of warning art? You know, here let's go in a gallery. Mm. We're all educated. You know, we're all going to look at this warning of what terrible thing might re- reoccur, but it's it could be just you know kind of elitist, and maybe the warning should be writ large
1: in the media. Right, right. I think I think that 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 could be a way that it plays, but I also think that Harley Gaber would have wanted people to take a step back um, that we could be very literal in reading the piece and and I think the the museum does a really nice job of giving some explanation but not drilling down into trying to explain everything I don't know that Harley Gaber would have wanted that I think it's more that if you look at the piece as a whole then it it helps trigger um, our own instincts and our own memories of what, what are we looking at here and, and how do we fit into that collage of humanity?
0: My name's Joseph Gallivan and you've been listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week was Melissa martins Yababan. She is the guest curator of Die Plage, which is on now at the Oregon Jewish Museum and Center for Holocaust Education through January 29th. 2023. Thanks so much for coming from the other Portland, Maine, to our Portland to curate this show and come on Art Focus. Melissa.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye.
0: Andy whoa, whoa, looks a scream, him on my whoa, 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 whoa. Andy whoa, whoa, Silver can
1: Esto es KBOO Portland por el 90.7 FM.
0: Bienvenidos a un breve informativo en su estación comunitaria KBOO 90.7 FM. Hoy, martes 25 de octubre del 2020.